I'm on computer. What is going on, guys? And welcome back to another episode of the Fit Shit Podcast. I am more than excited to have uh, four weeks to the beach on Instagram, nonetheless. <laughs> I'm sure you guys have seen his content, shared his content, and enjoyed going through it. So, Aram, please introduce yourself. Talk a little bit about what you do. And I'm excited to dive into today's conversation. So, I am the the angry nutrition coach, I guess. Um, I got into this business because I wanted to do it the right way. And I saw a lot of people doing it the wrong way and damaging people and damaging their, probably more so their psychology than their physiology. Cause I think physiologically people can bounce back a lot easier than psychologically, which goes back to your tweet from 2017. Um, which we'll give you credit for here since you're not getting it. Any, <laughs> since you're not getting it anywhere else. Jeez, Louise. Uh, I'm I sharing just, that now. I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it. And I'm going to tag you and it'd be like, see, bitch, I told you. <laughs> I just thought uh, I'm just I'm tired of people expecting it to happen overnight. And I started my business trying to be as loud as possible and telling folks that you can achieve whatever you would like to achieve. You just have to take the time element off the table and focus on the tasks that you have to actually get towards to getting where you need to go. And I'm, I'm grassroots. I'm organic, basically, in my approach. I don't really sell myself. I, uh, I try to put out at least some perspective on a daily basis. I share the plights of clients that I that talk to me on a, on a weekly basis because I do speak to every one of my clients on a weekly basis. So I think that my approach is probably a little bit unique as compared to many other people where I, I'm very honest about how long it's going to take, which is usually I have no idea. Um, and that's where I am as a coach and what I do. Yeah. And I think that that's, so I think, well, there's a lot to break down just in that concept, right? When I onboard a client, right. And we talk about their goals and we talk about these things and then they throw deadlines in there. Right. And I think it's important to set short-term goals. I think it's important to acknowledge milestones. Um, but I think it's hard when you get to a point where you have a consult with a, with a client who's been, you know, unfortunately sub 1000 calories, chronic diet or done everything under the sun. So we know that there's some internal health. That's just not where it needs to be. And mentally they're not in the best place with food. Right. So they say they're fine, but then you start to ask questions because you want to get to know them and understand kind of where their pain points actually are versus where they tell you they are, because most of the time it's not where they say they are coming to you for a physical transformation, but they want that to validate something internal. And that's what I like to figure out when I'm talking to somebody, because there's a mental and emotional aspect to fitness, whether we want to address it or not. And so when it comes to, you know, going through a fitness journey and talking about deadlines and timelines and when it's going to happen, I think lots of women, especially men could be different and you can speak on that, but you know, we, we focus on what we want instantly versus what we want most. And so when people are considering what they want to achieve, I ask them, you know, what is it you want in this moment versus what is it you want most? And I know right now adding more food and potentially gaining more weight is probably fucking scary for you. I get it. That's valid. Totally, totally valid, right? Like yeah. nobody wants to be uncomfortable in their skin. I get it. But at the same time, if you continue to run in this rat race of a cycle, you're never going to get to where you want to be because you did not invest in the short term. That might be uncomfortable now for you to be where you want to be for decades to come. Right. And that's when you give it that perspective, because look, look at last year, I feel like we've been in the same fucking rut since 2020. Like, I feel like no time has passed no. It's so fucking fast. 
but that's why it's like, there's no point in you being up and down in and out, in and out of any situation. Like if you're going to fucking commit, commit to that and be all in on that investment. And then in hindsight, you're going to be like, damn, I'm really glad I did that. Even though it was fucking hard and slightly uncomfortable, I got over it. I actually gained a lot of perspective that I needed because most people need perspective. And then I'm able to be here where I want to be. And I don't have to weigh everything to the gram every day. I don't have to log my fitness pal every day. Like that in some capacity is no way to live. And we can talk about that in another element as well. But I see so many women that are like, I don't know. I can't eat that. I don't know what's in it. One meal is not going to fucking ruin your day, dude. Like, but there are so many coaches that are like, if you can't track it, don't eat it. Oh, carbs are bad. Oh, sugar's the devil. Oh my fucking God. Like, and it's just still, it's madness. It's literally madness. I could go on about this for hours. Yeah. It's, it, it's, there is a lot of, there's a lot of disorder being built into food because of all the restrictions that um, the misinformation is selling people, whether it's keto, whether it's paleo, whether it's vegan, it's this removal of whole items of, of eating where, I think if we just go back to even ancestral patterns of, of living, which is really what our, our metabolism and our physiology is, is we have very old software um, and we're living in a very modern time that has had superseded the speed of our development. And we have Instacart and GoPuff and Uber Eats. And, you know, we have all this accessibility, which makes it very easy to make quote unquote, the suboptimal choice. But at the end of the day, I think before you even do that, you have to explore as a person, why is it that I'm leaning on all of this treat-like food for comfort? Is there a better way for me to be able to cope with whatever I'm dealing with between my ears, like you say, uh, as opposed to leaning on something like ice cream or chips or binge eating? Or, you know, I, I work with a woman who, who was a really, really fantastic individual, but she, she kind of hit an eating disorder for me for a while. And I was wondering, why are we doing all these great things together? And she's putting on all this weight in a rapid fashion that I couldn't really diagnose. And finally, after about four or five months, she finally told me like, hey, I, I am just closet binging at night and not recording it and not telling you about it. My husband doesn't know about it. And it was a very painful thing for me because one, I suffered with her for the last four months trying to figure out why it was so damaging that this process just wasn't working and i'm like it just doesn't make any sense and i was questioning my ability as a coach and i was i literally i just dove into pubmed trying to figure out like what can i possibly do to help her and finally that came out and i think it was a big relief for her uh to just be able to say it to somebody finally yeah uh, it was a relief for me because i was able to finally go to bed at night thinking that i didn't suck because i think if you are a good coach and you do want to help your clientele base, you do go through anything that they go through because you're empathetic. And uh, you know, I'm sure you've had the cases where you've told them everything and you've been there for them and they still just decide to do whatever the hell they want to do. And at that point, empathy is very difficult to express. But for the most part, I think people do, I give people the benefit of the doubt. And I do think that they are trying to put their best foot forward, especially if they are paying you for your expertise and your knowledge and your guidance. But you know, we do live in a world and in a time where it's very easy to just wet the whistle and just, yep, I can get it now. I want it now. It feels really good now. And I could just keep continuing that, that gratification, that dopamine hit. Uh, and I don't really need to look past that because I know that anytime I need it again, it's going to be right there at the snap of a finger. And it's very, very difficult for people to come to terms with how long it's going to take. And I usually use the example of a bad breakup. And I always, and because I work with probably 85% women 
and I've personally been through very horrifying breakups that, that left me in a very bad place, which I then grew from. But I always ask them, I'm like, when look back to the last breakup you had and remember how catastrophic it felt in those first three or four months where you didn't want to eat or you overate all the time. You didn't want to go out with your friends. You didn't want to get dressed. You didn't want to get off the couch. And just remember having all this support, every one of your friends telling you that it's going to be okay, that you don't need him, that you're going to be better than he is. And then slowly but surely, you know, you look back at it six months from then. And then you look back at it from a year's perspective. And you're like, holy shit, I survived. I'm this new woman with all of this new perspective. I don't even care about what he's doing anymore because I'm now this new awesome person that I've created through the fire and the resilience that I exhibited. And then I tell them that probably took you the better part of 12 to 18 months. That's probably how long a physique change will probably take you also if you do it the right way. Yeah. So there's a lot that I want to circle back to that you talked about. So one is coping mechanisms, right? I think we are now in a space where we have anything available to us for a distraction, whether it's your phone, whether it's social media, whether it's food for convenience, um, whether it's entertainment or alcohol or whatever it might be. You know, when we talk about habits and that's what I, what I do a lot with my clients is make them aware of their habits, um, where they're spending their time, delegating their time, how they handle the emotions. Because a lot of women, especially like they use food as a distraction. They use it as a coping mechanism. And so, you know, it's very, it's hard to break what you aren't aware of, right? It's hard to change something you don't know is bad or that's being detrimental because it's just, it's, it's one of those things where people don't know. And I, I love this and I don't know that I'm quoting it hundred percent accurately. So don't, don't think this is hundred percent, but I think it's like 80 to 90% of our actions on a daily basis are habitual. So our brains are running on autopilot. And so the first step into breaking that habit is being aware that it's even happening. Reverse engineering the trigger and what caused it to happen and how you're spiraling and then being self-aware enough to go, oh shit, this is one of those times where I would typically get into alcohol, food, you know, go on the internet, go on a random date, sex, maybe for people, like whatever it might be, like, this is a bad coping mechanism. I feel myself gravitating toward this. Now I have the power to change the outcome and end the cycle. And it doesn't get easier because neuros, neurological patterns become really, really strong the more that you practice them. And that's why breaking a habit, even after time, people that come from disorders and, and disease and, and all those different types of psychological things, when you're in a high stress environment, you revert back to what's comfortable. Right. So that's where things can be going great for four weeks, five weeks, eight weeks, all of a sudden some stress hits the wall and you have a bender, but it's not as bad as it was initially. And you're seeing improvement, but again, it's not something that you're ever immune to. And that's why, I mean, we can get into disordered eating and patterns, but it's one thing that people tend to always battle because it's always in the back of their mind and you can never escape food. Food is something that we need to survive. So, you know, when it comes to your coping mechanisms, you have to be aware of how you handle and manage stress and also understand that again, we're in a, in a place. And I love the way that you said it, where we are slow to adapt to the world that we're in. Right. So our physiology is not caught up to the present times. And so when we talk about stress, like we still experience physio physiological stress, psychological stress, all of those different emotional stress, all of it is still there, very present, but the way that we experience it is different. 
right? We can, we can go through any emotional drop right now. If someone texts you, Hey, can we talk? How many of you get anxiety with that text? Like what the fuck your stomach drops, right? You went from like parasympathetic. I could take a poop right now. to like, Oh my God, what are they going to talk to me about? Am I getting fired from my job? Are we breaking up? What's going on? Right. And so like your brain is just constantly running on these things. And then we look for, Oh shit, what can I do? I call a friend and some dopamine spike, right. That we can distract ourselves until this phone conversation happens. But regardless, it's one of those things where we have to break it down to the basics. Look at your habits. What are you doing on a daily basis? Where do you spend your time when you're stressed? What do you tend to do? Do you know why? When it comes to your relationships with food, are there certain foods you don't eat? If you don't eat them, why don't you eat them? Do you investigate your relationship with that? Are you afraid of it? Why are you afraid of it? And so I think self-exploration is critical because it doesn't matter what your fitness goal is. Like, like I've said, 2017, shout out to me, <laughs> right? Nothing's going to happen. I don't care what you do, what fitness routine you pick up, what diet changes you take, what supplements you add in, right? None of that shit's going to matter if you don't fix what's going on between your ears, right? And that's where the biggest and most important transformation has to happen. And then you mentioned a little bit about a breakup, which I love that you use that analogy, but we also have to remember, what are we doing to cope with a breakup? Is it getting into fitness? Is it, I'm going to lose weight now in spite of you, because I'm going to tell you, this is the biggest, one of the biggest mistakes you can make is doing it for, or in spite of somebody else, because you are not going to stick to it. You don't have a strong why. And as soon as you find comfort in another man or a woman or whatever, um, or situation, your fitness efforts go to the wayside. You hear about people getting complacent in relationships all the time and they let themselves go and all those things. Well, it's because you didn't, you didn't either prioritize yourself to begin with for you, by you, you know, in the, in the big spectrum to make yourself better for self-improvement, or you let those things go to the wayside because you filled yourself with validation from an external being, which isn't fair to them and might be the result of your breakup because you just didn't handle that appropriately. So I know that's a lot, but I did want to circle back to a couple of those topics. No, but you, you, you hit everything you're supposed to hit, I think, especially for what we do. Stress, like you said, is probably one of the biggest things that we don't understand as people and we don't know how to, our body perceives it so differently. And we're so overscheduled and overstimulated and everybody is saying yes to everything and everybody's got a million things on their calendar and everybody seems as though they're busy, but I think it's just a time management issue for most individuals. And I think, you know, I, I, I like to be self-employed because I like to say no to people. Uh, I love saying no, no is my favorite word. I used to be a yes person my whole life because I never had any value. And I always wanted to be part of something that was bigger than me to make myself feel better. And I always would, yeah, I'll go there. I'll, yeah, I'll do that. Or yeah, sure. No problem. I'll help you out. Now it's just like, nah, see ya. I'm going to do what I'm going to do because I like doing it. And if you want to join, cool. If not, okay, cool. That's fine too. And, you know, between being stimulated by an email or a text, like you said, whether waiting to receive that response with some level of anxiety we're surrounded by that every single day. And those stresses will compound every, every time that they happen. That's a cortisol spike. That's a cortisol release, which floods your body with insulin and glucose, which starts to metabolize fat and reroute it back into adipose tissue if it doesn't get burnt off. And I know that's getting much deeper into the science than we need to really focus on, right? I think most people are probably flying at 30,000 feet for now, and they need to understand broad spectrum how do I improve my food quality, quantity, exercise, activity, Correct. stress management? Uh, I think sometimes when you're working with a competitor level, maybe they do want to understand what 
autophagy means and what gluconeogenesis is and all these other stupid scientific fun terms that we like to throw around to make ourselves sound smart. But there is a place for nuance once you've earned it. And I think at least for my clientele base, most of the time they're lifestyle gen pop people who probably can afford to not give themselves as much grace anymore because they've been giving themselves too much grace for the last 30 years. And that's why 70 pounds happened. Or you don't other. need a cheat meal. You've been cheating for decades. I mean, you know, seriously though, sometimes that's the first question is like, do I get cheat meals? I'm like, the fuck? <laughs> Your whole fucking life has been a cheat meal. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, like, and that's not what to I, be an I, asshole, but like. No, but you're absolutely right. And I think that's why it's it's hard to deliver tough love now in this environment because it's it's not that I don't, I'm trying to be an asshole or, and don't get me wrong, like, shit like last night i had three cookies but i'll but i'm also not complaining to my coach that i don't feel well like i have a coach too i work with a guy who's actually a bodybuilding coach and i'm not even a bodybuilder but he does a lot of stuff with functional medicine that i like and we're working on my gut but like i'm not gonna text him my my check and be like well your fucking process doesn't work bro like no your process works fine like i'm just an asshole um but i i can sit with myself in those moments and be very honest and that's why when i do my check-ins i have people fill out a form and also I talk to them after I see their form because I want to be able to steer the conversation into a certain direction to be more productive. And the reason why I created the form and the, the call was because I wanted people to have this almost moment of self-reflection and almost kind of like a journaling activity because we are always constantly thinking about something other than our own feelings. And nobody ever just sits down with their own feelings anymore because we're just like doing the next thing all the time. So one of the, the yeah. biggest assets like I do in coaching now is in, and I love it because it's not just physical for me. Right. And I think that when people, again, they think about fitness coaches, they think macros and cardio and cool, like, give me that. I'm good. Like I have questions that are thought provoking, right? I want you to think about what I'm asking you. What did you win at this week? What did you struggle with? Why? Why? What is the why here? What is going so, on mentally? So let me you? ask you, that's, it's good that you mentioned that because I have a lot, I get a lot of pushback from people like, oh yeah, throw one more thing on my plate and say, I'm trying to help you out and mm -hmm. you're being combative about it. So when you ask those types of probing questions, mm -hmm. and obviously you have a lot more clients than I do, what typically tends to be like when you're reading that, that, that information back, are you noticing that people are taking the time to actually articulate themselves or are you getting a lot of these one word responses where it's like, fine, I'm good. Everything's okay. Like what, what, what do you see of what, what's the predominance of response? Yep. So this is where for me, it's very important. And this is why I take my onboarding calls very seriously. I am very clear in my expectations as a coach. I am very clear on what you're going to get from me. And I'm also very honest if we're not a good fit because you're not ready for my style of coaching, right? right? Because if in order for us to work together and be able to get you to where you want to be, like you're coming to me for my service, right? And I know I am, I am very confident in my ability to help you, right? But if you're not ready to do the work that you need to do, and yes, that is internal work as well, right? Mental shifts and being aware. If you're not ready to deal with that shit, you're just not ready to work with me. And that's okay, right? We've talked about this before, right? There's no scarcity in coaches, 
right? There's like coaching is, is on the market. It's a hot thing. You could go anywhere, like literally anywhere. However, quality of coaching and their personality as a coach, that's what they're buying, right? And so my service is different than yours, right? Your service is different than mine next versus the next person, right? And so those calls, I, I spend as much time as I need to getting to know the person. I find their pain points. I know where they're at mentally. I know the shit storms that they've been through most of the time. Unfortunately, I don't get like brand new to dieting. I just want to go through my first phase. When I do, it's like a unicorn. I'm like, fuck yeah, it's going to be great. (laughs) But you know, other than that, it's, it's taking the time to get to know the client. I ask about their lifestyles, their families, right? What this has done to them, what's changed when they started getting here, what are things they wish they had back? Right. And so I think reminding people too, like a lot of women I get are afraid to let go of tracking, like super scared. Right. And they're like, it sucks because, you know, I want to be able to go out to dinner with my husband, but I get worried about this. And I always get this when I want this. Why are you afraid to have that, that fucking burger? What are you afraid of there? Well, I don't know how much fat's in it. I don't know this. I don't know that. I'm like, you don't need to, because at the end of the day, one meal, as long as you're not being an asshole about it. Right. And I'm very clear about that too. Like I said, I I have like, I'm empathetic, but I'm also very, very clear. Right. Because I want to make sure they understand what I'm saying. And as long as you're not blowing it out of the water, you're not going to do anything detrimental. Right. You're not going to do that. But again, if you have these negative associations with food, with fitness, I see this a lot, especially with women, the cardiovascular equipment and the step count thing. And it's like, holy shit, you hit 8,000 instead of 10,000 steps today. Did you die? Like, but that's the thing. They're like people, I, and I know this, especially in competitive athletes, right? And I love that aspect of them. Trust me, like when you're in bodybuilding, you need to be all the fucking way in or out. And I talk about this a lot. Every call that I have with a bodybuilding client, I try to talk them out of prep because it's so selfish. It requires a fuck ton of time, right? You're going to be exhausted. Your relationships are going to suffer like all of those things. Right. And so if I can talk you out of it, then you're not ready for it. Because especially if it's your first one, you like are not, you don't even know what you're getting yourself into. Right. And I, as much as you try to tell them and they can listen to podcasts and they can listen to people that, that they look up to talk about it and all these different things, but until you go through it, you have no idea And so I think, you know, for you, if you're struggling with getting your clients to go there, just on your calls, especially because you have them weekly, like this is what we need to work on. And I want you to report this to me next week, right? If I have somebody, a client add in something like some type of breath work that I want them to do, or some type of reflective thinking or topic questions, or like, you know, things that I'll see, I'll, I'll say, Hey, I want you to report this to me next week. I want you to work on this. This is a part of your feedback. I expect this we're on the same page. Okay, cool. That's what we're doing. And yeah. then you get them to, because they understand. And again, like I'm very upfront about this. If I see something on our call that needs to be addressed, that's not just nutrition and, you know, outside of nutrition and, and cardio and training and all that stuff, right. There's a really big blind spot here for you. I'm pointing it out. Cause that's my job. We need to fix this because if we can fix this, the rest of that, the experience there and the outcome is going to be 10 times better, exponentially better, but we can't get there if we don't fix what's in here. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think it's, as a coach, I, I have to teeter the line of being a service provider and a customer servant, I think. And it's almost like being a, some, some coaches are very good tacticians and technicians. And I think that's what my coach does a really good job at. He just basically, here's how it's going to work. I know it works because it's worked with a hundred thousand other people. It's going to probably work with you too. And if it doesn't, we'll deal with it. So he kind of just lets me like run off into the, 
into the wilderness by myself with my plan and hand. And if I, as long as I have my map, I should be good. And he trusts that I'm smart enough to be able to handle that. I can't do that with most. And I'm sure with, as you probably see that with lifestyle folks as well. Like you can't just trust that people are going to be as mechanical as, as a competitor is going to be because they don't have the same skin in the game. So and this is where I like to say, this is what delineates a, a coach from like a machine, right? A machine can spit out the same piece of paper and kind of shoot it out to everybody, right? And the, the people that receive the paper know how to read it. A coach can meet a client where they're at and go, okay, you're missing this gap of education. You're missing this gap in your habits. You're missing this gap in your lifestyle. We need to give you the education and tools to lay a solid foundation, right? That's where a lot of my life clients lifestyle clients have to start. I'll have clients that'll be like, okay, I'm ready for a change. And I look at their adherence and it's like a 70%. I'm like, until we get this to a 90, like we're not changing anything because we have not laid a solid foundation to build on. If the foundation is cracked, we're going to have to revert back to this because this shit started off shitty, you know? And so then it's like, where again, going back to the questions, what did we struggle with? Why are we struggling? How can I help you? What do you need from me to make this more efficient? What do you need from me to dial in your adherence here? And so being able to talk to a client, understand their pain points, figure out where they're at mentally, physically, and emotionally, and then go, okay, this is the education that this client needs. Because remember, every competitor didn't just like wake up with all the knowledge they have. No, of course not. Right? Like that way. I think people forget. They're like, oh, I'm just stupid because I don't know what they know. Well, no, you're not stupid. But like if I walked into a fucking aerospace engineering facility, like I would not know what the fuck is going on in there. Like I'm ignorant to it. I just don't know. And so- That's why it's so important. Again, I have screening processes for everything I do. I know a lot of coaches will just be like, cool, you want a training program? Here's one that looks like it will work for you. Like, that's cool. But I need more information because if they're paying for one-on-one coaching, I'm going to give them a one-on-one coaching service. Absolutely. What worked for Johnny or Susan or whoever, right? Like I need to meet them where they are, talk to them, like get the information that I need. And then if they want different resources or things or what things I'm seeing in their check-in with gaps, I need to give them the resource and the feedback that they need in order to make the change and give them the education that they need to carry on. I think, and I'm, I'm with you and I, and the, and I think you'll probably agree with me on this and correct me if you don't, there are best practices. Um, obviously we know certain foundations that just work. Like we understand that a training program should have pushing, pulling, hinging, lunging, whatever. Mm-hmm. We understand that protein is king. We understand that calories drive the metabolism. There are certain, I would, I would call them almost absolutes. As much as I don't like using absolutes when it comes to fitness and nutrition, because it is so individual, there are definitely some frameworks that just work. They work. They've worked for hundreds of years. They work over time. They stand the test of time. Of course, there's always going to be that outlier that has whatever orthopedic issue that can't do this or the, or has whatever physiological setback genetically that they have Cushing's disease and they overproduce cortisol and they can't, you know, they can't quite ever settle down and, and their blood work is never going to be perfect. So of course, there are going to be outliers, but I would say if you were to take an average extrapolation of any lifestyle or, or general population individual who we're trying to work with, if you start to change, not, and I don't like being subtractive. I don't, I'm sure you don't either. I don't like pulling things away from them. I like giving them more things to do right. because adding more protein and adding more steps and adding more vegetables and adding more fiber and, 
adding more time for yourself becomes valuable because there it's always very easy to pull stuff out of somebody's life and say, well, then, yeah, then you're going to be fixed or, yeah, if we pull food away, you're going to lose weight. Or if we, you know, if we pull away time in front of the refrigerator, you're just going to get better. But like at the end of the day, I, I would much rather be additive than subtractive because there is always a time at some point when people adapt that you can now start to at least do it safely. And I never want to be able to rush that process. And I think that is what's menacing for so many people is the, the unknown of the future. How long is this going to take me? How we're reversing and how long do I have to live in this state of, of excess and, and overconsumption that what feels like overconsumption to them because they're doing it with nutrient dense foods as opposed to rosé and charcuterie boards. Yeah. So one big thing right there, they need a mind switch. They need a mindset switch perspective is everything. That's what's going to change your experience, but you get to choose that. I am so grateful right now. I can go out to dinner with my hubby. We can go get a burger and fries and I can have all the, like, come on, let's stop pretending we don't like food here. So like, yeah, it's a little uncomfortable. I'm going to tell you your man's likes you when you're a little bit thicker anyways, most of the time. Right. So we need to, instead of looking at, Oh my God, I'm going to be soft and squishy and no one's going to think I'm attractive and all this mess. Like, Oh, I don't fit in a size zero anymore. First of all, ladies, the truth of the matter is the physique that you idolize and the one that you want to replicate for yourself or embody in your own element is going to weigh more than you think it does. 90% of the time, I can almost guarantee it. Are right? there and size I, zeros anymore? I don't, I can't fit in that shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being honest. Like, but way back in my day, like that's why I post my transformation a lot because I was 94 pounds. I mean, literally nothing. And I was one of those people that thought weighing less. And that's what I was taught with bodybuilding is you just got to get leaner, get leaner, 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 leaner. And suddenly I disappeared. I was two dimensional. I was incredibly <laughs> unhappy. I had no sex drive. I was not fun to be around. I had zero energy, but Hey, I fit in a size zero. Cool. But it did nothing for my life. Right. The best thing that ever happened to me was forgetting about the fucking scale weight and just using it as a data point that I can use to as, as a supplement to interpreting my own fitness journey. Right. But I look at how much stronger I am, how much more muscle I have, how much more energy I have. Right. Like I would not trade that to be that weight again, to be that size again. Right. But it wasn't until I started actually feeding my body training with intention. Most women don't know how to train properly. Like I'm just throwing that out there. Because they're afraid I, to lift heavy. Right? I agree. Or, no, yeah. and I tell that I tell that to I say that to like my moms all the time. I'm like, here you are in your basement on your Peloton treadmill with four pound weights, yet you've just spent seven months holding a 30 pound toddler on your hip while doing dishes. What sense does that make? <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't like I don't understand it. Like you're able to haul groceries while holding a kid strapped to your body somewhere. You're strong enough for that. But then you expect to get an adaptation and, and, and have some kind of growth from a four pound dumbbell that's strapped to the back of a bicycle. I, 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 it's just, I guess I, it's closing that gap is always a lot of fun when you can, when you can show a woman how strong she really is. And it's empowering. So it if you're a woman that is afraid to lift and be strong, be a strong bitch. First of all, I'm going to tell you if bulking was a thing as a natural woman, that is very, very, very difficult to do unless you're like a genetic outlier, which I'm telling you. It's hard for a man. Like most people are not like I've, I've never to this point, I've not had a woman be like, oh, I'm too bulky and like have a healthy amount of body fat. If you have high amounts of body fat and you're training, then you're going to be like, I feel like I'm putting on too much muscle. No, we just haven't 
seen you get lean enough yet. There's just layers. So there's layers there. Yeah, we've just got to pull back the layers and focus on generating a higher energy demand demanding tissue, which lean body mass is, right? So it's not only going to aid in your fat loss efforts and improving your body composition, but I also think a lot of people think in order to change your body composition, you have to be in a calorie deficit. That is not the truth, but it's very mainstream, right? People always talk about toning and weight loss. You can tone your fucking body by picking up a heavy weight and getting off of the cardiovascular machines. That is how you tone. And I know people get caught up in verbiage, but let's be honest, like you said, your audience and the people that we're serving are mostly gen pop people that use the word fucking tone. Like, I don't care to use it. It doesn't phase me one way or another. It's not triggering. I know what they mean when they say it to me. Of course. Right. And so your, your goal with toning is literally building more lean mass while breaking down or even staying the same amount of body fat. Like by definition, you are leaner because you have more muscle relative to the, the amount of body fat that you have. And, and I, that is how you improve your body composition. And most of the time you can do that, adding more food, adding food, right? So you don't have to be in a calorie deficit to change the way that you look. Well, like what you said too, about uh, women not capitalizing on intense enough training. Um, I've seen some pretty incredible transformations just happen when women really do dive all in into the actual weightlifting portion of it. I've even seen it with men. We leave a lot on the table when we walk into the gym and we don't understand how to train to correct mechanical failure or technical failure. And until you're really reaching those limits of reps and sets, you don't ever really understand what training hard feels like. And those people can still experience what we can, what we call newbie gains and they can still see body fat reduction simultaneously with muscle uh, building. And it's almost like they have this new lease on life. It's like this new opportunity for them to regrow tissue while, while cutting fat. You and I can attest to the fact that that will not happen with us anymore. We've been doing this for too long. Yes. We have to unfortunately see the fork in the road and choose one way. No more newbie gains. No, but for most women and even men who are just starting, and I'm not even saying that you can have a training age of 10. And you could be in the gym for 10 years straight, but if you haven't actually trained to failure and you haven't actually trained proper mechanics for 10 years and you've been doing dog shit, half effort stuff, you can still get newbie gains. And a lot of people do. And that's what I'm starting to see now with a lot of my clients who are finally understanding proper setup and proper action, joint action and proper exercise selection, because I'm teaching them that you don't need to go and do shoulders for 45 to a minutes to an hour. It's a fucking small muscle group that really only takes three or four movements a couple of times a week. And you should be fine as opposed to this. I'm doing shoulders and arms for four hours and I don't understand why I can't get any results. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of junk volume and there's a map in my opinion, um, in, in, underrepresentation of intensity, right? People uh, don't talk about intensity techniques. And so one thing I really like to do, so obviously this is not with like a beginner, beginner, we're just getting foundation set in the sure. gym right? Proper movement mechanics. Um, and then once they can progress more to like an advanced or even, you know, advanced intermediate, right. Then I'll throw AMRAPs at them because I want to know how many actual right reps can you get with this? Not how many you think you can get, not many, how many I'm programming you to get, how many can you get? Yeah. Okay, great. And we want to become more efficient because I do that so that they understand, oh shit, I literally cannot get another rep here. Okay, cool. Now we can pull back and do two IRRs or IR and we know how to gauge the intensity, but you didn't know what your intensity level was because you never hit that. You never knew what it's like to literally fail trying to lift a weight. 
And I think that's awesome. People think failure is negative. Every time I fail, I get fucking excited. I'm like, you're going to tell me this is a fucking limit. Me, my attitude, my competitive edge. I'm like, you're going to tell me this is my fucking upper limit. Fuck you. Like, you know, and I just work and I work and I work and then I beat it. Right. And it's going to take time and effort, but instead of worrying about your weight or your fat loss, like you should be putting a lot of your, a lot more of your mental energy into that because that's going to pay off long-term and not just for your physique. We need to remember that training and weightlifting aids in longevity and quality of life, right? So for women who are getting close to menopause or in menopause, and they're going to have grandkids, like, don't you want to be able to play with them? Don't you want to be able to squat down in a normal movement pattern and be able to pick them up and play with them? Like, these are things that I communicate with women, especially because I'm like, you're afraid to do this, but you're grandma now. You got a little munchkin. You got to chase around, squat, crawl, whatever the fuck. You can't even do a push-up. We can't even do a pull-up. Like we can't move our own body weight, right? And so it's like, these are fundamentals. This, this is just fundamental work. This is not trying to build and get bulky and deadlift 300 pounds. Like I just want you to be, have a long, healthy life where you can move and show up and have energy to be present for all of this while you age like wine. Like, cause everybody wants to be that female, right? We all want to be Reese Witherspoon and all those wonderful, beautiful women, Jennifer Aniston, who never ages, but I digress. Oh, she does not age. Um, well, it's also the, the thing that I use to sell muscle gain for women very often is bless you. Um, you just become a sponge for food when you have more muscle mass on you. And like, it doesn't mean that you have to look like me because you're not going to, like, I could barely look like me. It's, it's hard enough work to be 220 pounds as a man, let alone that you're ever going to reach those heights of muscle mass as a woman, unless you're truly just doing everything in your power to do so. And that's you're not the, hitting that naturally as a woman, unless no, you're like of course six not. And four then, and you've, you're just anabolic as fuck. No, and I wish muscle was that easy. Like every time I have a woman tell me like, I feel very, very bulky. And it's like, I, whatever you're doing, I want to be doing it. Whatever you're on, I want to be on because I never feel bulky. I feel tiny and weak and shrimpy. And I'm one of the bigger guys in the gym. And this, I, I don't know where, and I think it just comes from the fact that yes, you do have some overlap of fat over the muscle that's getting pushed out into clothing and as the muscle starts to grow underneath for the first time it gets very scary and clothes get a little tight but what i always try to revert back to especially with females is like hey your navel measurement hasn't gone up which means your waist isn't getting any bigger but your booty got bigger and your thighs got bigger and your lats got bigger congratulations <laughs> like that shit is good like that's the stuff that you want because eventually if we can build this underlying muscle mass which you did not have before when we do finally get to a place where i feel comfortable with you even going into some type of a reductionary phase you'll have something to show off aside from just bone and skin which is what you were before with fat on it or just being skinny fat yeah yeah, and, and I, I don't think any woman, when they say they want to lose weight, do they want to be soft and mushy, a softer, smaller, mushier version of her old self? I don't think that's what the desired look was. I think it was supposed to be that strong, firm look that they were hoping for, but that requires there to be underlying muscle mass, which takes an inordinately uncomfortable amount of time to build. I always and tell my clients that because what they do in... I don't know where this idea comes from, but I get it, right? They think that muscle growth takes the same time as fat loss. And what I have to tell them is like, and that's why I made an infographic on realistic expectations when it comes to weightlifting, because 
growing muscles, like watching paint dry and then applying another layer. It does not happen fast. It is not, you know, it take it's very dense. So it doesn't take up as much volume as adipose tissue. Right. right? And so when you adding, when you're adding structural proteins, it's not like you can visibly see, Ooh, I got another one, right? Like you, you don't know. No, no. And so it's, it's a lot of, it's a fuck ton of work. It's very uncomfortable. And I think a lot of people too, you have to remember that in order to adapt, you have to force adaptation. Right. So if you're going in the gym, lifting the same reps with the same weight every single week, that is not stimulating growth. You're not doing it. You're not doing it right. Right. So and a lot of people, especially if you're under fueled. Right. Correctly. But let's even say you're adequately fueled, right? You have to demand change. You have to demand growth, right? We get adapted to that stimulus. So 15 pounds on your dumbbell lateral raise is not going to bring up your shoulders anymore when you've been doing it for eight weeks, right? We need to force adaptation. It needs to be uncomfortable. You need to get really close to mechanical failure every single session. And this is why I don't know why or how really anyone can do 12 to 15 exercises in one workout. I have no I'm idea. fried on a leg day. If I can do five, I'm like jello. I can't move. Like, so if you can do that many exercises and you're also training more than five days a week, I really challenge your intensity here because physiologically, if you're training at a high intensity, you're not recovering with that. Like there's literally no way there's no way. No, and I, I go to a I kind of I guess it would be called the bodybuilding gym here in San Diego. It's called the gym, and there's a lot of IFBB pros in there. And it was a very humbling experience for me because I used to work out by myself, or I worked out at these small facilities in Connecticut where I was from, and I was always kind of like the big dog and the the, the bigger dude and the more muscular guy. And now I'm in here with guys that are 300 pounds, six percent body fat, and I feel tiny, which is fine. It's great. I love it. It, it, it encourages me to, to lift heavy and hard and always really empty out the tank. But I'm watching, even in this environment where people are experienced, and don't get me wrong, there's a lot of great form. There's a lot of great execution, a lot of training to failure, but you're still watching. I'm still watching the female population specifically do a lot of stuff to where it's almost like I'm kind of saving myself for that third set, or I'm saving myself for that last set. That last set isn't going to do anything if the first three sets were suboptimal. You're, all you're doing is kind of pulling back the signal that the muscle should have gotten in the first place. Um, and it's very- Those women are probably not resting adequately between their first couple of sets because they haven't gotten to a point where they need that rest period to recover, to keep the intensity equal, right? And right. I think a lot of people underestimate that. They're like, well, how long do I rest? I'm only resting, you know, 15 seconds or I'm doing supersets all the time. And I'm like, okay, great. But like- that's not, you're, that's you're not the team. Like, you're doing cardio. Yeah. If you feel recovered within 30 seconds of that exercise, you didn't work hard enough. Yeah. Right. Like even if I'm doing biceps, like if I hit failure, I still need a minute or two to like be able to generate the exact same performance and output. Right. I might even hit a rep short because I'm fucking fried. Like, so you can't, if you are able to do that, you need to really, again, self-reflection and like self-awareness. Am I actually working that hard? Am I really giving hundred percent effort or am I afraid of what I'll look like if I fail? Because I'm going to tell you, nobody at the gym gives a shit what you're doing. Nope. Literally everyone is there to stroke their own ego. And if they're picking on you or saying anything about you, let me tell you this, it says a lot more about them than it does about you, right? You oh. are there for you. The investment you made in that gym is for you. The investment you've made in your coaches for you. So don't make it about anybody else, but you. 
No, and I, and I would I would say probably in more so those settings that I've seen, and I've actually been very pleased to see. There's a lot of support. Um, I saw a guy that was in the gym the other day, and he was on the heavier side. I'd say he was probably mid 300s. You could definitely tell he was a novice. And dudes were dapping him up, and they were slapping him on the back and kind of encouraging him. And it was exciting for me to watch like this kind of camaraderie naturally form inside the gym. And it truly, if, if you go into a setting like that, and I could see why it's so menacing for females to walk into a gym where it's kind of mostly populated by men on the weight training side. Luckily in my gym, there's a lot of females that bodybuild. So there's a lot of women who know how to lift. But if you're walking into a 24 hour fitness or an LA fitness, and you've never been in a gym setting as a female, and all you see is rows and rows of cardio equipment, of course, you're going to go there because those are kind of dummy proof. And that's what you've been told that's going to work because you're going to run your way into the physique you wanted. And nobody explains to you how to lift weights and there's no course for it. You know, the way we learned, you and I probably learned through trial and error and dropping dumbbells and fucking up exercises and hurting ourselves. And that's how we acquired some knowledge base. And then we got into the actual biomechanics of it and we learned from a book and then we learned through application and it takes time. And, and, and I don't want to ever discount how long that takes. And I also want to mention that everybody has to start somewhere. And if that means that like, you know, you're going to outgrow your 12 pound dumbbells in the basement and you're going to have to venture out and either upgrade the equipment you have in your house, which is going to be very costly, or you're going to have to put your big girl pants on. You're going to have to go join a gym at some point and that, cause that you're going to need more overload and progressive overload in order to get better. And I get shit for this all the time. Well, why can't I just work out in my house? I don't think your house has a pendulum squat or a chest press machine or a row station or even enough weight to continue to overload with, right? At some point you do outgrow that stuff. Unless again, you're investing in a home gym, which is going to be incredibly costly. But on top of that, most people that start at home also are not confident in compound movements. No. And so one of the things that I'll have clients do is hopefully there's good trainers there. And I'll say, Hey, get one session with them, have them walk through every compound movement that I have in this program and make sure that you feel confident walking away from that like you know how to do what you're doing, right? Because I can't be there to be hands-on, but I want to make sure that they feel confident with programming so that they can move forward. And obviously like with videos and stuff, I assess all that stuff, but you know, upgrading is, is scary, but at the same time, it's necessary. And I always believe this. If something is uncomfortable, it makes you uncomfortable, it, you need to do it. It's a sign that like you need to bite the bullet right there and like dive right in, right? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you're going to look back and be like, God damn, I remember when I was scared to fucking deadlift and now I'm deadlifting 185 or 225 or whatever you might be pulling. But like we all, we all, all, all. And that's even back to like the tracking and the execution question. Like we all start not knowing, but you have to be willing to step into the arena and start acquiring knowledge and start practicing and start trying. And I'm telling you right now, and I tell every client this on an onboarding call, you're going to fuck this up. You're going to fuck it up so many fucking times. It's disgusting. But every time you fuck it up, you're learning something. And the goal should always be to not make the same mistake twice, right? That's what standard I hold myself to is I've fucked stuff up so many times. But that's how I learn. And then I take that and my goal, again, don't do it again. Don't fuck it up twice. You've learned, like, don't be a repeat offender. But don't be afraid to try because you're afraid of failing. Like, that's silly. That's just going to limit you to live in this little comfort box. And no one wants to stay there. And I, and I think it's important to note, too, that you can't really fail when it comes to eating. 
Uh, I think we all know that a, a salad is probably more nutritious than a candy bar, but that doesn't mean that you can't have both. I just think that if your average decision-making over the last X amount of years has gotten you to a point where you do feel uncomfortable in your own skin and you don't like what you see in the mirror, you do have to be a little bit more honest with yourself about those types of treat foods that you're allowing yourself to have all the time. And I like to make it very simple for folks. I say, think about how many meals a day you're going to have and multiply that by how many days you have in a week. So if it's four meals a day times seven days a week, 28 meals. If you don't want to look like a bodybuilder, if you don't want to be that egregious with, with your lifestyle, 21 out of 28 meals should be spot on and the other seven, all right, yeah, go and enjoy yourself. That's probably better than where you were before. If you want to be a little bit more dialed in and you want to give yourself, you know, if you want to have a little bit of a better physique and a better handle on your habits, maybe now it's 24 out of 28 meals. And basically, you basically start to kind of dial the knob up on intensity with whether it's at training or eating. If you have goals that are very specific and very nuanced, you better fucking be prepared for a lot of sacrifice and a lot of choosing the right thing as opposed to I'm going to give myself the room to do this, this or this. Like I do this to myself all the time. I'm in a very intensive gut protocol right now. And guess what I do when I get high? I order GoPuff and I get Doritos and I get candy and I get chips and I feel like shit. It's not my coach's fault that his gut protocol is not working. It's not the supplement's fault that they're not kicking in. It's I'm continually feeding bad bacteria in my stomach by eating like shit. So I have to take responsibility over not feeling well. And if that means I'm not going to look good in the mirror and I'm going to be a little puffy and waterlogged, so be it. And I think people need to understand that there are consequences of living a certain way if you choose to drink alcohol multiple nights a week you're not going to recover as well you're not going to sleep as well you're going to be insulin resistant you're going to have shit sleep you're going to have shit recovery from workouts you're not going to be having the same muscle protein synthesis that you would with a normal person would if you want to give yourself five six cheat meals a week you're going to look like you have five or six cheat meals a week so if you have specific aesthetic goals you have to remember that those things will require you to not live like you used to live. Period, you, point blank. Yeah, if you want to change anything about your life, change requires sacrifice, right? You are where you are. You are and will always be the product of your choices. I don't care if you like that. It's not fun. It is true. Okay, where I am today is a result of my past choices, right? And I talk about, I'm also on a gut protocol. I've got a bunch of fucking shit. Like, hmm. it's not fun. I no, love bread. I have to buy gluten-free shit now because like- I have to, like, I can't eat gluten. It's just like, I, I've had a GI map done and it's like a fuck no. Like I've even, asked even for, bread. I've even asked for alternative opinions. Like, are you sure? <laughs> gluten? <laughs> and like, unfortunately, like that's my physiology and like the things that I'm going through trying to get my cycle back, like that I am here because I made that bed. Like I'm in it. That's my fault. Cool. I can either feel sorry for myself or I can be like, all right, cool. I got to take action here. I got to start doing X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z and do this for as long as it fucking takes. Because guess what? I thought I was going to take 30 days off of training. I've been out for almost two months, right? I just went back to the gym my first time this last week. I did five exercises at like 60% effort because I'm like, I don't want to hit that, that stress. I just don't want to go there with my body. So I'm trying to find quote unquote balance like for me and what's going to work for me. But I think that we all start need to take, need to start taking accountability, right? Because it's so easy right now in our society to blame somebody or something else for your problems. And again, I think 
consequences in general just have a negative connotation. There are great consequences to things. The consequence literally means the outcome, right? The opposite outcome of the choice, right? Whenever we make a choice, there is an outcome to that choice, good or bad. Could be great, could be terrible, but there are consequences to your decisions. And so if you're sick of sitting around, feeling uncomfortable, body checking yourself, not dealing with the internal shit that you have to fix, the only person that can fix that for you is you. And that's why when it comes to coaching, one of the hardest things, and you'll probably agree, is when you want it more for the client than they do for themselves. Huh. Every day. Right? Like, so it's every, like, every I, yeah, I see your potential, but you're not putting in the effort here. And I can't do it for you. Like, I've given you all the tools. I've gotten hands on. I've done this X, Y, and Z. Right? And you're still only giving me 60%. Right? If you're going to do this, you need to be all in. And those conversations are really hard, but they're yeah. pivotal. They're pivotal. And so it's it's really important, again, wherever you are, no matter where you start in life, you that does not dictate the direction or the distance in which you travel. And I think that's incredibly important for people to understand you hold all of your power and no one is coming to save you. I wish that the truth were different, but it's not. And so we're here to support you. We're here to be sounding boards. We're here to educate you. We're here to give you the tools that you need to be successful. That's what we do, but we can't do it for you. And as much as I would, maybe I'll offer a, elite premiere package where I actually fly to somebody's house and live with them for an entire month. And I just rip them out of bed every morning. And I'm like, we're going to cook eggs. We're going for a 20 minute walk. You're not getting on calls yet because you're not ready yet. It's like the live with your trainer boot camp. Um, I think the, the last thing I want to say, because I don't want to take up too much of your time and I don't want people to get inundated with my voice because it's either going to make them mad or going to think I smoke cigarettes. Um, when you're a female and you're, let's throw a ballpark number on it. Let's call it 180 pounds and you're five foot three and you're just not happy in your own skin. And we're asking you, and you're logging your food and you're only eating 1400 calories, which is nowhere near what your basal metabolic rate is. And you've tried the diet 86 times and it hasn't worked. And you've put back on 20 after you've gained love, you've lost 37 or eight different times in your life. And you have become fat loss resistant to some extent. And your coach is asking you to reverse diet and he's asking or she or he is asking you to slowly, gradually build muscle and build calories. If that 180 pound frame puts on another seven pounds over the course of three months, but now you're eating 800 calories more, what the fuck does it really matter? You're not in the best shape of your life at 180 anyway. So what is an extra seven pounds if it gives you another 800 calories of freedom? And now you've learned how to lift weights and now you've learned how to become less restrictive with food and you don't have to diet anymore. So make that upfront initial investment. If I told you that I was going to give you 10,000 bucks back in 18 months, if you gave me a hundred dollars now, everybody would do it. Every single person on earth, whether they were man, woman, or child, mentally handicapped or not would say, yeah, that's a great bet. That's what reverse dieting allows you the freedom of doing. That's what building up metabolic threshold does. That's what building muscle does. It's an investment in your long-term future care and health and wellness. So who gives a fuck if it takes 18 or two years or two and a half years, whatever. You've dug yourself into a hole with whatever you've tried to do before and it hasn't worked. Why do you keep going back to a diet when the diet fails you every time? Because either you don't succeed at it or it's too restrictive. And I just made a post on this today, actually, because I get this question all the time. It's like, yeah, I gained the weight. So then I tried to go back to what I was doing before and it didn't work. Right. And so we talk about, yeah, we talk about, 
you know, um, you know, why those things don't happen. And I think, again, I, I try to break it down. So it's super simple, but you're not broken. Your metabolism is damaged, right? These are normal physiological adaptations that happen to fucking protect you. The outcome that the other option is keep running through engine fuel that you don't have and you die. So like, these are good things and it's supposed to like your body's doing what's it's, what it's designed to do, like to help you continue to survive. But in order to thrive, you need to a meet energy demands. And so when we talk about energy input and energy output, right? Energy balance is what matters. And so a lot of women will be like, okay, I'll eat more. And then again, self-sabotage kicks in. They start walking more and doing more cardio and burning more calories, right? Than they would if we, they would just follow the protocol. So again, you're still not in an energy balance where your body is safe, right? And so I could nerd out on this forever, but the point, the point that he's making, which is incredibly important, is most of you are like professional dieters. You've tried every diet under the sun. You've done it all, right? 30 day, whatever, shakeology, bullshit. I don't know. Skinny talks, detox, this talks. I don't know. But at the same time, if you invest one year to reverse a decade of damage, that year is worth it, regardless of how much weight that you gain, because you're going to come out of that the next decade of your life, being happy, thriving, having energy, and being in the body that you wanted to be in that you never thought you could be in. That's going to give you so much more in your life long-term than continue to run in this vicious cycle because you're afraid to gain five pounds. That doesn't change who you are as a person, a friend, a mother, a sister, a whatever you are, a businesswoman, whatever you might be, that does not change you. You as a person are you, like who you are inside. Your aesthetic, your aesthetic being like, can help with your confidence and all those different things, but it doesn't matter if you look great and your energy sucks or you're a shitty person. So like you need to deal with all of it, make the right investment, and then be in it because the long-term outcome of that is going to amplify the quality of your life much greater than you can even imagine right now listening to this. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, we, we could probably just say that's about as best, that's the best advice that either you or I could ever possibly provide anybody. I don't have the same credibility that you do because I'm not a woman, I think, and I don't, I haven't gone through, now granted I've had had hormonal issues and I do have a lot of self-image stuff and self-doubt and whatever issues those are. We can work on that. My father didn't hug me enough and didn't tell me I was special. So, but I think that when a woman hires a, a woman like you, who's a great coach and knows what she's doing, you know, not that she needs to, I think you should always question whatever process you're enduring because it's important to be self-aware and it's important to understand and, and educate yourself. But you're a walking example of what happens when you take the time and the patience in order to reverse out and to reverse those adaptations and to get stronger and to maybe put on a little weight and to not be a size zero. So what I challenge all of your listeners to do, whether they're going to get coached by me or you or anybody else, you have a walking thriving example of what happens when you do it the right way with you. Why would you do it any other way? Why would you spend $80 for Shakeology every two weeks that's going to make you piss water out of your ass or whatever else you're doing with beach body with four pound dumbbells. Yeah, maybe it's a really cute community to be a proud to be a part of. But at some point, it's you still have to address the root cause of why you got to where you are. And she can do it for you because she's been there and she's lived it and done it for herself and countless other women who are differently shaped and sized, who have different emotional setbacks and, and, and drawbacks that she had 
we all come with some fucked up version of ourselves that we're trying to fix. Nobody's perfect. Amen. And this idea that we're going to be spot on with our health or our wellness or our habits on a weekly basis, we're going to do the best we can, but just change your average day to be a little bit better. And if you hired a coach like her or me, we don't want to fuck you guys up. We don't want to have bad reviews. We don't, we're not, we're not telling you things because we want to be bad at coaching and we want to fuck you up even more than you already are. We have your best interest in mind. Typically it's an adherence problem or it's an honesty issue with us. That's why you're not succeeding. So, you know, if I was going to leave anybody with anything, it's the idea that the process works if you work it. And I promise you this, and I'm speaking for you. So you can correct me if I'm wrong. If there was a fucking magical pill or a super secret, awesome diet, that would get us all shredded and be able to live a high quality of life. I'm telling you, I would have already put it out into the market. I would be a billionaire. Yeah, It's not real. And so when you pick up the magazine at the grocery store or you listen to the infomercial on you know, your commercial, whatever the fuck, like understand they want to make money off of you. This is a marketing thing, right? What we're telling you is patience, execution, consistency, and a fuck ton more of patience, and also manage your fucking stress and the shit that's going on in your head, right? That's not sexy, oh. but it's true. So um, thank you, Aram, for coming on. We're going to have to have you on again. I will link all of his information below. I'm just telling you guys, you need to follow him on Instagram. His content is exceptional, relatable, and it will make you laugh, but also give you a swift kick in the ass. So thank you for coming on, Aram. We'll have you back soon. I appreciate it. Thank you.